this time on Millennial. What are you doing over in private mode? What are you listening to? Some sad girl autumn music? Oh, you know it. (laughs) (laughs) I just don't want to get texts from friends being like, are you okay? You streamed like this Sivion Stevens album for three weeks straight. (laughs) Now you've got someone like Stacey Abrams, who is incredibly popular with Georgia Democrats. And you've got Beto O'Rourke also running for governor in Texas two extremely popular, prevalent Southern Democrats running for governor's seats, I think we're going to see really, really high Democratic turnout in the midterms because of these two. I'm so excited. Millennials have officially ruined brunch. Millennials are killing gyms. Millennials are killing the McRap. Millennials are killing America, part one. Just part one. (laughs) Welcome to Millennial 746. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. There was an international holiday the other day. We all got our Spotify wraps. And it's absolutely amazing how this has become a pop culture moment. Like, it truly does feel like a holiday. Everybody's talking about their Spotify wrapped the day it comes out. And I have to say first... I remain in awe at the fact that Apple continues to sit on its hands, not doing something like this. I know. You cannot buy this type of promotion. It really sucks. It's unbelievable the success Spotify has had with Spotify Wrapped. And it is so good. It's fun to look at our year in reviews. And whether or not you use Spotify, you sure saw them on social media on December 1st. So I thought we have to go through everybody's stats Pam, what were your highlights for the year? So my top artist, no surprise, was Taylor Swift. And then my forever faves, all time low, were number two. And I love a good oldie. So the Beach Boys came in at number three. Wow. Yeah. Miss Olivia Rodriguez at number four. And then Bleachers is at number five. Bleachers. Okay. I really like um, the Bleachers. Uh, they They did an MTV Unplugged special. And I listened to that a lot. Okay. So that probably tracks. (laughs) for me like i'm not questioning their placement in my top five at all what was your audio aura that was new this year in spotify wrapped yes mine was wistful and kindness and it was a really pretty like mostly blue but with a little bit of pink and purple in the center okay and how many Mm -hmm. minutes did you listen oh my gosh you're asking me the hard putting you on your toes okay (laughs) 23,225 which I feel like is kind of low yes that surprised me because I saw Mm -hmm. yours on social I listened for 29,000 minutes that puts me ahead of 82 percent of others in the United States I'm shocked I beat Pam because I feel like we both are we both primarily use Spotify to listen to music I do I have Apple Music. A question though. Go ahead. What um does it does it count minutes even if you're in private mode? Because sometimes <laughs> I, I slip into private mode. Because I spent um, forty thousand minutes in private mode in 2021. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, like, I don't know how many, but I do kind of wonder because I know that there's probably a few things that uh, that didn't chart for me because I listened to them in private mode and and I was wondering about the minutes. But what are you doing over in private mode? What are you listening to? Some sad girl autumn music? Oh, you know it. <laughs> I just don't want to get texts from friends being like, are you okay? You streamed like this Sivion Stevens album for three weeks straight. <laughs> Gosh. Oh man. I just love the I just love I'm imagining you just like sitting there being like, all right. 
time to sit in my feelings, imagining you clicking into private mode, sitting there for an hour. <laughs> All right, I'm done. Uncheck private mode. I don't do mode. it very often, but like this one time I did legitimately get a text from somebody that was like following my, you know, like- The friend activity I, I actually, feed. Yeah, the friend activity feed, which I actually, I'm not staring at the computer while I'm listening to Spotify usually. So I just thought to myself like this person like really just sat there and watched to see what everyone was listening to. And then I felt a little bit ashamed, which doesn't usually happen with music. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But yeah, I think I think they were just like, you seem to listen to like more upbeat music because like maybe then you wouldn't be so sad all the time. And I really like took that to heart. And so I felt bad about it for a little bit and then I got over it. So no, music is self-expression. Yeah. And if that's just how you're feeling at this particular juncture, that's okay. Don't let anybody music shame you. Yeah, yeah. I got over that one pretty quick, but I was like, for about a month, I I, I felt a little bit of shame, <laughs> which was pretty funny. So uh, 29,000 minutes for me. My audio aura was confident and empowering. It was like uh, purple and pink. Top artist was Bruce, of course. Uh, I was in the top 0.1% of uh, his listeners this year. Very proud of that. Uh, Top artists overall, Bruce, Lady Gaga. (laughs) I'm so freaking predictable. Bruce, Gaga, Taylor Swift, Elton John, and then Dua Lipa, which I'm proud that I got Dua Lipa in this year. Actually, I really hadn't listened to her prior to this year. So those were mine. And then my top genres were dance pop, classic rock, street band, mellow gold, I don't know what that is in the modern rock. I've been listening to a lot of the killers lately, too. Mellow Gold. Okay. I feel like that must I be like it. very bright indie dream pop. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. That makes perfect sense because I do like some yeah. indie stuff. I, I mean, I don't know if that's what it is, but like hearing Mellow Gold, that's what it would make me think of. So what are your numbers, Laura? Honestly, I think <laughs> I don't have my numbers up right now, but it was around the 30,000 minutes mark. Um, so I feel like similar to y'all. Um, my, my musical aura this year was angsty and silly. Oh, you are silly. How do those two things go together? I don't know. (laughs) Um, y'all are going to laugh at me though. And and this is probably predictable. My number one artist was Bo Burnham. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Because I love that. I listened to that fucking Inside album so many times and was really in my feelings about it because... I just related to it so much. Um, but after that came Gorillas, Glass Animals, My Chemical Romance, and of course, Fallout Boy. Now, I do have to state once more that Mark and I share a Spotify account. So uh, this is like Laura and Mark's year in review. <laughs> I still have not kicked him off my account. This is what happens when you get into a committed long-term relationship. You just you share everything so i would, I would never to that just like no. up, though. <laughs> anybody touch my spotify i just because <laughs> like the daily mixes i love using those and if if pat were to start using my spotify account my spotify mixes would be both of ours and i i i don't want that also this is less talked about but um spotify also gives podcasts their own wraps and you can see some stats about your listening audience we had people in two new countries listen to us this year croatia and oman welcome 27 countries in total this year we grew a little bit on spotify it looks like streams were up 22 percent hours up 21 percent followers up 11 percent listeners up seven percent 82 people listen to millennial more than any other podcast so well done those 82 of you and 28 fans spent their birthday listening to us. 
Isn't that oh, sweet? So soft. Yeah. That is so cute. Yeah. Fun little stat from Spotify. So thanks to everybody who's listened to us over the past year, of course. And hey, maybe one year Apple will actually create a feature like this. Pam, Spotify shared some other stats, and we're not going to talk about them all today. We're going to do that in a variety show on Patreon. And we're also going to look at some other year in review lists in that episode. But there was one I wanted you to talk about today. Yeah. So Spotify does this every year, as does most like major um, social media platform. And like Andrew said, we're going to talk about uh, breaking down some of like the specifics and artists and albums and things like that later. But one of the things that they really made a point to single out was that it's Spotify curated playlist called Music for Plants grew by nearly 1400% in listeners, uh, which I thought was really cute. It's like a nice little tongue in cheek to talk about the growth of music for plants. And, you know, obviously, a lot of people became plant parents in quarantine. So I guess it makes sense that they were looking up music to maybe help their little plant babies grow. Um, And I know that Andrew was really into this as well. Have you given this uh, playlist a spin? Because I had no idea it existed. I have not. But the reason I wanted you to bring it up is because I've heard a lot of talk of this over the past couple of years, playing music for your plants. I Yeah, apparently if you sing to them, it's good too. Yeah. There's like Instagram accounts where people are filming themselves singing to their plants. And I guess maybe the thought is people will play this for their own plants. You know, there's also this debate about do plants have feelings? Can they think? Stuff like that. It's, uh, I don't believe any of it, but I think it's adorable that people think about all this. I wanted to also mention, so we've been off for uh, a couple weeks. And when we recorded our last episode, nobody had heard the phrase Omicron. And this is the new coronavirus variant, and it has um, gotten a lot of attention because there's been a lot of uncertainty around it. And still, as we record tonight, we don't really know if it is more dangerous, if people are getting more sick from this. It does seem like it's uh, spreading pretty easily. I'm frustrated by the reaction to the new variant because everybody got very scared very quickly. And we've seen uh, the world make a lot of moves to try and tamp down the spread of Omicron. What I find especially frustrating about this is that there's going to be variant after variant until we die. It's just never going to end. And I really hope this isn't what we're going to be in store for, for the rest of our lives. Like all this fear and panic around every new variant of coronavirus. Yeah, same. I mean, there is just so much unknown right now. Um, You know, as a recipient of the Moderna vaccine, I've definitely been very curious to hear more about how uh, Moderna fares against Omicron. And I've heard some reports saying it might not be as effective, but obviously as effective does not suddenly mean ineffective. Um, So I'm still feeling like I am as protected as I can be and just going about my life normally and as carefully as I would otherwise until we know more. But yeah, I agree with you. It's, It's a little frustrating. It feels like a bit of a backslide. Um, my brother had actually planned to go to South Korea in 2022 as his like COVID liberation and just had to cancel the trip because South Korea announced that they are requiring uh, a mandatory 10 day quarantine upon entry to the country. So wow. he was like, well, that's like my whole trip. 
right? Yeah. I'm not going to spend all this money to go over there and stay in a hotel room. So he's canceling that for now. And, you know, that's obviously very much a first world problem. And then you start thinking about people in the service industry, um, you know, people who whose livelihood depends upon their ability to be able to interact with the public and understanding that those folks are looking at how things were just a couple years ago and how scary it can be and and how uncertain how much uncertainty this injects into everyone's lives right now so yeah it's it's touch and go it's frustrating i'm just trying to be as level headed as i can as we learn more about this what about you pam i'm operating the same way you are um i have my booster vaccine appointment scheduled um and i'm doing it in time you know, for the holidays, which is what I wanted to do. Um, still wearing my mask, still, you know, operating cautiously. And I think that that that's how everybody should operate and and urge your family members who are, you know, a little bit slow on the uptake to get vaccinated. Because as we've heard, you know, the more people that get vaccinated, the more likely it'll be that, you know, the spreads are slower and and these variants are not as uh, frequent. Like, you know, Andrew said, the variants are always going to happen. That's why uh, COVID-19 is COVID-19. It's because there were other COVIDs before this covid so it's not necessarily anything that's not going to happen, but um, it's very possible that it will be less deadly if we all get vaccinated and try our best to take care of each other. Yeah. Mark is actually getting ready to graduate in a couple of weeks, so we can all applaud him on that. Um, but he is actually um, in a biology course right now, and his professor noted something interesting on this. And of course, this is not licensed to make you know, broad sweeping assumptions about what this variant means or it doesn't mean. Um, but she noted that generally speaking with viruses, the more highly transmissible they are, the lower the death rate tends to be. Because if the thing is killing people off every time it infects somebody, it's not going to spread very far because it's killing its hosts. So she was saying that perhaps the high transmission rate of this variant could indicate that death rates will be lower. Of course, that's one person's opinion. We don't know if that's true. Um, but it is just something to consider as we think about how the virus mutates and how the effects might look different in years to come. What really annoys me about this, though, is just the media hype around it. The, they immediately jump into, let's scare everybody as quickly as possible. Right. And they do this for everything, of course, when it comes to crime, when it comes to people of color, when it all kinds of things. And they know that scaring people about the latest COVID variant is going to work. This is just what they do. I mean, CNN, they're awful when it comes to stuff like this. So I'm already fed up and I'm already dreading all the future fear over the future variants. Do we have, do, should we be concerned? Yes. Should we close down the world immediately because a new variant pops up? No. And there is this initial fear. And, you know, anecdotally, there's been some reports that maybe it's not as deadly as Delta or another variant. But also this just broke before recording. And again, it's early. But the New York Times is reporting that there's some reports from South Africa uh, that state that Omicron 
does spread quickly, but it is less severe. Quote, there are early indications that the variant may cause less serious illness than other forms of the virus. Again, and this report cautions, it's early, it's early, it's early. But so far from what I've read from reputable sources, yes, it may spread faster, but it doesn't seem to be as deadly. It's great news. Let's just wait and see what happens. Let's wait for the data. That's all I ask. I think you hit the nail on the head, like... Do your research, do some reading before you go off of a headline or even like a news tease and broadcast news, because if you're just, you know, running with that, then you're never going to know how severe things are. Right. So just uh, do your research. Coming up at five, will Omicron Mm -hmm. kill you? Well, we're going to make you wait to (laughs) find out. You need to know about the newest variant. (laughs) Plus, is it going to rain in two days? We'll be right oh, back. They always end with the weather because people will will stay for the weather. My first internship was at a, a broadcast uh, news station locally, and I was in the uh, promotions department. And there was a big sign at my desk because they used to, we used to do like the teases that said "sell the story, don't tell the story," and that was basically my job. You know, it's like we know what the news is, but you have to sell it. It always cracks me up though that in this day and age, they actually tease the weather. Coming up, some temperature changes. Find out what's in store in five minutes. I can load up my phone and look at the forecast. How can they get away with teasing the weather anymore? It's not Will a secret. Rain, rain on your 4th of July parade? Stay tuned at 6. <laughs> I won't stay tuned, NBC10. I'm going to load up the weather no, app and your find mom out will. right now. <laughs> mom and dad will. Grandma and grandpa will. Yeah. That's how they get yeah, them. Yeah. Well, they need to come up with new teases because that's not going to work for much longer. All right, so that's what's going on. I also just did want to quickly mention, uh, so they're using the Greek alphabet to come up with names. I kind of wish that they trolled another company here. Like, you know, Delta absolutely hated, Delta Airlines hated <laughs> that they called it the Delta variant. It, it, was, it was so funny. The CEO of Delta was asked to comment about the Delta variant a few months ago, and he didn't call it the Delta variant, of course. He said, well, variant B.222.614. It's like, Everybody knows what you're talking about, but he can't call it the Delta variant because he's the Delta CEO. And it's so funny watching somebody like that have to deal with that. (laughs) Um, The next one in the Greek alphabet is pi. So look forward to COVID pi. Oh, boy. Just in time for the holidays. The pi variant. (laughs) Mm. Get vaccinated so you can enjoy some real pie with your family this holiday season and not COVID pie in the (laughs) ER. Right, right. (laughs) Well, I already know where most of my volunteer hours are going to go for next year's midterm elections, and that's to Stacey Abrams' campaign, because she announced during our break that she is going to be running for governor again here in Georgia next year against our current governor, Brian Kemp. So y'all know I'm super excited about that because I am so passionate about Stacey Abrams' platform for the state of Georgia. Um, But also, I think she is just a monumental badass and uh, resident person that I aspire to be when I grow up. Um, So I'm super stoked about this. I also think it's an amazing midterm strategy because we've heard time and time again, Democrats don't turn out for midterms. Democrats are feeling dissatisfied by what the Biden administration and Congress has been able to get us the last couple of years. Well, now you've got someone like Stacey Abrams, who is incredibly popular with Georgia Democrats, And you've got Beto O'Rourke 
also running for governor in Texas, two extremely popular, prevalent Southern Democrats running for governor's seats. I think we're going to see really, really high Democratic turnout in the midterms because of these two. And I'm so excited. Yeah. You know what? That's such a great point because they actually get people excited. I've been thinking Mm -hmm. about this lately. Is anybody feeling excited about Joe Biden? I mean, there's even talk that he might not run in 2024. Trump fans are still excited about Trump. They never stopped being excited about Trump. People with Biden, they're just like, okay. So, yes, it is great that these two are running in the midterms. That was an excellent point. Something else that's related to this that I fucking love. I was laughing about this for a couple of hours the other day when I was reading about it and then reading some of the responses. Do y'all remember a little Southern gentleman named David Perdue? Um, Mm -hmm. He was uh, the U.S. senator from Georgia. John Ossoff uh, overturned him. He unseated him last fall. (laughs) Uh, David Perdue is also famous for not showing up to a debate with John Ossoff after Ossoff completely cleaned his clock in a prior debate. So it's this televised debate with two podiums. John Ossoff is there gesturing at the other empty podium because Purdue didn't show up. Well, Purdue decided to announce that he's also throwing his hat in the ring to run for governor. So he's seeking to primary Kemp. And Kemp's campaign spokesperson put out this statement that said, Purdue's only reason for running is to soothe his own bruised ego because his campaign for U.S. Senate failed to inspire voters at the ballot box twice. Governor Kemp has a proven track record of fighting the radical left to put hardworking Georgians first, while Purdue is best known for ducking debates, padding his stock portfolio during a pandemic, and losing winnable races. Incredible. I was crying. (laughs) I'm like, yes, eat each other, like cannibalize each other. Put the attention on tearing each other down so that my girl Stacy can just walk up and assume the seat. Thank you very much. Let's hope so. I hope Uh, so. Trump has or Purdue has Trump on his side. As we all know, Trump is not happy with Kemp for uh, not swinging the election for him. So... So, you know, Trump might help there, but he might. But I mean, Purdue had Trump on his side during the runoff and he still lost. So, yeah, we shall see. Well, in some less great news, there was something that we just wanted to quickly mention here. Uh, We predicted on a couple of prior episodes that. Roe v. Wade um, is in serious danger of being weakened or even overturned. This is, of course, um, the law that grants um, your right federally to seeking abortion access. Um, So the Supreme Court heard oral arguments in Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization last week. This is in relation to Mississippi's uh, 15-week abortion rule. And some of the quotes that came out of this are not a good sign. You had Amy Coney Barrett saying, why don't safe haven laws take care of the problem of the burden of motherhood? Safe haven laws are laws that exist in all 50 states that allow you to 
um, you know, after you've given birth to a baby that you may not want, um, release that baby to a hospital, no questions asked. Um, then you also have Chief Justice John Roberts, who historically has been in favor of maintaining um, Roe v. Wade as settled law, saying if it really is an issue about choice, why is 15 weeks not enough to make that choice? Um, you also had Brett Kavanaugh, everyone's favorite, saying, well, if Roe were overturned, some states would still freely allow abortion, which also leaves open the acknowledgement that many states would not. And as we spoke about on this show previously, there are around 20 or so states that have so-called trigger laws, um, which would take effect immediately if Roe v. Wade were overturned, that would um, 100% limit access to abortions in those states, which we know will hurt minorities and poor people the most. And just a reminder here, 58% of Americans oppose overturning Roe v. Wade, and 32% of Americans support it. Um, So just wanted to briefly mention that and also say what you can do to help. You can donate to Planned Parenthood, NARAL, or the Center for Reproductive Rights. You can educate yourself on the issues and discuss with friends and family, although, you know, Holidays might be a weird time to do that, but go go with your gut, you know, follow your comfort zone. Um, and you can also call your senator and voice your support for the Women's Health Protection Act, which would codify the right to an abortion legally. Uh, and we will also provide a link to that so you can easily find your senator's phone number. And that's my recommendation this week. Call your senator, wish them happy holidays and tell them to support the Women's Health Protection Act. Please and thank you. And I think we might get an answer from the Supreme Court by the summer, it looks like. We still have a yeah. ways to go until we hear from them. Yeah. We won't hear what the outcome was, but it's not sounding good. <laughs> right. Right. All right. Well, we have a few topics we're going to get into in a moment. But first, this week's episode is sponsored by Felix Gray, the blue light glasses that started it all and the glasses that I am wearing right now. Five years ago, Felix Gray set out to create eyewear that would improve daily screen time. Since then, Felix Gray has been on a mission to create a better relationship with technology. Thanks to these glasses, you can help reduce the eye strain, headaches, and insomnia that comes with staring at a screen for as long as we do every day. Felix Gray lenses filter 15 times more of the blue light that's bothering you, whether you're heading back to the office, back to school, or maybe you want to come up with a great gift idea for someone, a gift that will actually be helpful, you can count on Felix Gray. Visit felixgrayglasses.com M-I-L-L to check out what they have to offer. These have been so helpful for all of us here on the panel, and they look great too. I am addicted to wearing them. Non-prescription and prescription glasses are available. Check them out now felixgrayglasses.com slash M-I-L-L. That's F-E-L-I-X-G-R-A-Y glasses.com slash M-I-L-L. Free shipping, free returns, free exchanges. So really, this is a no-brainer. You got to try these out. felixgrayglasses.com slash M-I-L-L. We uh, enjoy having this millennial Facebook group. It's a closed group, so it kind of feels intimate. And this is just a great group to uh, help each other out and and shoot the shit and whatnot. And one of our listeners, Sarah, shared a viral photo in this group the other day highlighting how many things millennials have allegedly killed. And we got to post this on social media. By the way, if you want to join the group, it's facebook.com slash groups slash millennial show. 
And it takes all these newspaper clippings, it kind of looks like, and like paste them all together in one photo so you can see all the things that we're killing. And in the center, there's a slice of avocado toast. <laughs> it's really great. And so I'm just going to run through a few of the things that millennials have allegedly killed. This is all in the one graphic. Millennials are killing lunch. Have millennials killed serendipity? Are millennials killing the car industry? Why are millennials killing their bosses? Will millennials kill home ownership? Are millennials killing the vacation? Millennials aren't eating cereal because it's too much work. Millennials are killing the movie business. Did millennials kill the hangout sitcom? Millennials are killing department stores. Now millennials are killing marmalade. Millennials have officially marmalade. Millennials have officially ruined brunch. Millennials are killing gyms. Millennials are killing the McRap. Millennials are killing America part one. Just part one. <laughs> Stay tuned for part two of that God. article. Um, there were 50 headlines in this one image, and I started Googling some of these. They're from some of them are from reputable sites like Forbes. I wanted to talk about this because this is a trend we have seen over the past couple of years. I think this is hot clickbait for some sites saying that millennials or Gen Z or boomers or any other generation are killing something. Can anyone spot a single thing in this list that we are purposely killing? It's like millennials have got together and said, let's kill department stores. Here we go. We're not killing anything. We're not purposely destroying anything. These businesses, these products are just failing to keep up with the times. And also, that's how society is. Things come and go. Things are hot. Then they're not. Right? Yeah. Also, I would just call BS on this because, you know, with things like um, department stores, we're not the only ones who have moved away from shopping in traditional department stores. Boomers love Amazon, too. Right. Don't tell me y'all don't love the convenience of having Amazon fairies deliver your stuff in two days. Come on. (laughs) Everyone loves that. I also think it's especially funny because there are so many things like the only honestly right now, the only examples that come to mind are like snacks that we had growing up as kids that just like mysteriously disappeared. And I don't think like anybody our age decided they wanted to do away with like Dunkaroos, for example, because who doesn't want cookies and icing? Right. Right. Mm, So good. I'm really over this trend. But the problem is people probably click in on these types of articles. Like millennials killing the car industry. And I assume if I were to read that article, it'd be about how people are taking public transportation or maybe they're uh, biking or walking. Like, are these a problem? Also, cars are expensive and they require a lot of upkeep and you got to pay for car insurance. All this stuff is just unattainable. It's not our fault. It's the car industry's fault for being so expensive. I just want to I want to see articles back in the day written about how, you know, whatever generation it was that killed the carrier pigeon, um, how they destroyed that industry. Because it's the same shit. It's just every generation, one after the other, piling on to the next and complaining about the young people and how young people are so lazy these days. Young people are so rude. Blah, blah, blah. I thought maybe one segment we could do and I couldn't think up enough ideas. So I scrapped it. Like, what did what did the boomers kill? What did Gen X kill? Like the rotary phone. Do they get blamed for killing the rotary phone? No, of course not. What did boomers kill? The economy. (laughs) They never want to talk about that. 
They never want to talk about the part where they took out mortgages that they could not possibly actually afford. Right. And then blew up the housing market. Yep. Did we kill the home industry? No, we just can't afford homes. Are we killing the movie business? No, stop making shitty movies and then we'll come into the theater. Did we right. kill the the Hangout sitcom? Like, really? Friends is still one of the biggest shows with millennials, right? And Gen Z. Mm-hmm. And Gen- yeah, it was such a big it. deal that it moved to HBO Max. Make more Hangout sitcoms and put them on a good network. Sometimes, yeah, you know, it's kind of funny because all those people that are making decisions about what goes on TV are probably old white boomers. Right. Yeah, exactly. So- <laughs> yeah. Uh, millennials are killing the gyms. No, we're not. Companies invented home workouts and we figured out we could work out or just get physical activity by going outside. Millennials are killing the McRap. I don't I don't even know what the McRap is. I know it's from McDonald's. Me but- either. <laughs> and how are we killing America? Part one. <laughs> and where's part two? Okay, so we established we're not actually killing anything. I'm wondering what else we're going to get blamed for killing one day. We're going to get blamed for killing the mail, postal mail. Yeah. We're going to get blamed for killing Taco Bell's Doritos Locos Tacos. I can't explain that one. I just have a feeling. We're going to get blamed for walking, for killing walking, because, um, you know, I think about Wally and how they just like all float around. And I really think that's a thing that's going to happen. We're going to get blamed for killing Star Wars, I think, because Star Wars in some ways does feel like it's dying. Uh, what else? What else are we going to get? Don't say that for? to diehard Star Wars fans. Um, I think we're going to get blamed for negative population growth, especially in this country. We know that um, millennials are having children at a far lesser rate than prior generations. And it's, you know, back to like, we can't afford them. Um, and I think as a result, we're going to be blamed for killing a number of industries related to, you know, having children, childcare, thinking preschools, for example. Um, I could see one day if preschool enrollment is down because preschool age populations are low, I could see them blaming us for that. Maybe we'll get blamed for um, killing Black Friday because everybody loves a good deal. But now there's a lot of conversation around, you know, whether or not it's fair that employees have to work. At like 3 p.m. on Thanksgiving, spoilers, it's not fair. And it's a little bit ridiculous. It was really nice this year to see, you know, a lot of stores scaling back those hours. Mm-hmm. And also like a lot of the deals, because a lot of times the deals aren't even that good anyway. Like That might know. be the one good thing that we kill Black yeah, Friday. But I'm sure that they can still spin it in a, in a terrible way. At what point does the blame start to shift fully to Gen Z? Because I'm tired of being blamed for things. So I think right now what we're seeing is that, um, and I'm not using this as like a pejorative, um, but the baby boomer generation, um, the the ones of them, because obviously they don't, they don't all participate in bad mouthing millennials, but the ones that do, I think, use millennial as a catch-all for anyone under the age of 40. Mm -hmm. I've heard um, elderly people that I know doing this, like talking about 15-year-olds and referring to them as millennials. And I'm like, whoa, 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 hang on. Hang on, Grandpa. Don't get it twisted. (laughs) They are not. Um, But I think that this will only start happening when millennials start getting crotchety and blaming Gen Z for everything. But I also wanted to proclaim that this show will not do that. We will not participate in this generation warfare. It's bullshit. Stronger together. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Well, you don't have a website where you can go and start 
publishing whatever you want. So I, I think I'm going to start going on Hypeable and being like, Gen Z's killing <laughs> everything. I'll start shifting the blame. Are you going to say Gen Z killed Hypeable? <laughs> <laughs> you, you might be able to make a case for that. <laughs> Chloe's going to quit. <laughs> and then we're going to have to find somebody who can do her job. Our Gen Z social media manager. Oh, yeah. She just said she quit. Okay. Well, we're looking for a social media manager. And that's Andrew's the team. killing Gen Z. <laughs> No, I think that's a good point, Laura. It's it's going to take everybody just blaming Gen Z. <laughs> and let's not do that. Let's not do that. Let's not perpetuate this stupid generational hate bullshit. It should stop with millennials. All right, you're right. I am being hypocritical. You know? I'm sitting here complaining about it, and then I'm saying I'm going to start blaming Gen Z. So, okay, yeah. Yeah, it's that's fair. That's fair. But here's here's what I ask everybody. Please don't click in on these headlines. It's all bullshit to grab your attention. This is a hot, sexy headline. Millennials are killing X, Y and Z. Enough. Enough. And R.I.P. Doritos Locos Tacos. Um, all right. Our second sponsor this week is public.com. On public.com, you can start investing on a smaller scale with slices of shares in a very easy to use app. Invest in what you believe in with any amount of money. Connect with investors from all walks of life to learn new ideas and gain confidence. Public.com makes it easy to learn and invest thanks to the social aspect by surrounding you with a community of others who are investing in stocks, ETFs, and cryptos. Everywhere you look on public.com, you'll see people discussing why they're buying or selling stocks, and it's all very quick and simple to browse. I always say on the show that no matter what we're doing in life, our pursuits always feel easier when we're not alone. And that's what's going on with public.com. They lean into the community aspect so you're not alone in your decision making. Get the big picture with curated themes that let you navigate the market the way you see the world. Invest with built-in educational features that help you learn as you go. And invest safely with volatility reminders that let you know investments like crypto are a little riskier. Start investing with as little as $1 and get a free slice of stock up to $50 when you join public.com today. Visit public.com slash millennial to download the app and sign up using code millennial. That's public.com slash millennial and code millennial. Valid for U.S. residents 18 and over, subject to account approval. See public.com slash disclosures. This is not investment advice. All right. Well, we want to talk about something that all of us in the U.S. should be paying attention to right now. Um, And that is that every 10 years following the U.S. Census, every state redraws its district lines, which mold the balance of power in Congress for a decade by determining how many seats in the House of Representatives your state will get. And depending on how those lines are drawn can be the determining factor in how much Democratic or Republican representation your state has in the House. Now, I want to ask this to I want to pose this question to you, Andrew and Pam. Um, when you think about a redistricting process, you know, and, and you don't have to go super nitty gritty or anything like this. But when you think about how that should be handled, who do you think should be in control of redrawing these district maps to determine power in Congress? Some kind of like nonpartisan group. Right. Not a party that yeah. it's going to benefit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know yeah. who that is. Right. 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 Y- you would think that redistricting should be handled in an objective 
independent fashion, but oftentimes it's not. The result of that is called gerrymandering, and that's when a political group manipulates the way districts are drawn to favor themselves and or possibly disadvantage their political rivals. So Pam, I'm really glad you mentioned um, the idea of like an independent committee. Um, Arizona and California actually are examples of states in which neither major political party has control over the redistricting process. They have independent committees that work on this. However, in states, and there's a few of them here, like Arkansas, Georgia, my home state, Florida, Kansas, Kentucky, Maryland, and New York, redistricting is handled by the state legislature, which in each of those cases, is controlled by one party. You can probably figure out where the split is there. Um, But in the case of Maryland and New York, it's largely Democratic controlled. And in the case of all those other states, it's Republican controlled. I mentioned Maryland and New York there because you will see if you start digging into this kind of story that Republicans are the overwhelming beneficiaries of gerrymandering. That is true. But Democrats absolutely do this as well when they're given a chance. And the reason I want to bring this up today is because no political party should be able to do this. I don't care if you're the party that is in prevailing power or if you're the underdog. Neither of these parties should be able to to do this. And I wanted to speak about an example that's happening right here in my home state of Georgia related to our 6th and 7th districts. Um, So Georgia's 6th district is historically or has been historically a Republican stronghold up until 2018 when Lucy McBath, who is a badass, you should look into her sometime um, if you just want to hear a little bit. badass. Yes. If you want to hear a little more about her story, she's amazing. Um, She flipped Georgia's sixth by nine points in 2018. Um, This was previously Newt Gingrich's district, if that tells you anything. And the Republican-controlled Georgia legislature recently released a map that would change the sixth district to encompass an environment that was heavily pro-Trump in 2020. So it would turn her district from being plus nine Democrat to being plus 15 Republican because they're redrawing the lines to include a lot more rural area outside of metro Atlanta, which makes the district lean that much more Republican. Then we also have in the seventh district, Carolyn Carolyn Bordeaux, she flipped the seventh district in 2020. Um, It is now being drawn to make it a safe Democratic seat. So it's basically being drawn so that it will be known as a Democratic seat. But what this does is it turns two Democratic seats into one, because now Lucy McBath has no choice but to run in the 7th district if she wants a chance of winning. So what they've effectively done is pitted these two Democrats against each other, even though McBath won that 6th district on her own merits. Again, it was a map that was drawn by the Republican state legislature during the last census, and she beat them at their own game. 
they couldn't win, so they just redrew the lines to make it impossible for her to win. So messed up. I wanted to see if either of you had heard any stories like this, maybe in your own states or or maybe somewhere else. I mean, I hear about it happening. My question is, I, I've while you've been talking, I've been trying to think, like, what's the fairest way to do this? Why can't you just throw a giant grid on top of every state and say, done, this is the map. Every district is a square. They're all exactly the same size. Do you still have to draw lines due to population centers? Yeah, because if you did that, there would be large swaths of the country that get representation in the house that have almost nobody living in them. Right. Um, Okay. And that makes... See, the thing with districting that's so important is that depending on how your district is drawn, your vote may mean more or less than the person in the district next to you. So it's really important that these are drawn in an equitable way, um, not to give, you know, three people living in the middle of bumfuck nowhere, South Dakota, more standing than people than a densely populated district in Georgia, mm-hmm. for example. Um, so and it's, it affects it's, more than turning blue or red, right? Like, doesn't it also affect like school districts and like, um, you know, how much money is allotted to the aforementioned districts and things like that? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it, it's a lot more than even just, you know, as you said, who represents who. It's it's about how much weight certain voices are given. Um, Gerrymandering, of course, advantages one party over another, um, but it also frequently serves to diminish voices of voters of color. Um, So there are these two terms, and it's really disturbing to hear that there are actually terms for this. The terms are cracking and packing. Um, Cracking refers to splitting communities of color into different districts to prevent them from exercising greater political power. And packing refers to placing people of color into the same district in greater numbers than necessary to elect their candidates of choice in order to prevent them from exercising greater political power in surrounding districts. Um, This is like if you've ever seen drawings of congressional districts where it's like they have a big patch on one side of the state and then there's a little line that runs across to another big patch on the other side of the state. That's what that means. You know, typically if you're looking at a district, you would expect to see like largely some kind of clump, right, that is like all together. But oftentimes, um, for example, you can look at Maryland's third district and it's got patches all over the fucking state. Yeah. Why is that? And actually, as a matter of fact, and I mentioned this before the start of the show, um, just a few hours ago, the Justice Department sued the state of Texas over its Republican approved redistricting maps. Um, The Justice Department says that this discriminates against black and Hispanic populations in the state by adding two new districts to the state, which sounds like a good thing on its face. But those two new districts are largely comprised of white voters. And there have been no additions made to account for population growth in those minority communities. Wow. 
And just to add like a cherry on top, the Brennan Center for Justice estimates that the last decade's gerrymandering gave Republicans 15 to 17 extra seats in Congress. So again, not saying that Democrats don't benefit from this, but Republicans are overwhelmingly the beneficiaries. And that's why you see certain things that may not make sense to you. Like, for example, I think it was around 2010, looking at Ohio, where a popular vote was split almost 50-50. A little, a little, I think it was a little lower on the Democratic side, but it was effectively 50-50. But then you look at the allocation of House seats in Congress, and it was like a 75-25 split. Shit like that makes no sense. So I thought that we could play a little game here on the show. It is a bit of a visual game, but we're going to add a, com- a component to try and describe what we're seeing. Um, ben and Jerry's, the makers of your favorite ice cream, um, they are very politically involved and they actually have a gerrymandering quiz that we can take together. So you go through all of the results and you select whether you think the image you're seeing is a gerrymandered district or an ink blot. And I thought that in an effort to bring a little bit of description to this, before we make our selections, we have to say what we think the image looks like. So well, imagine so there, you're taking an ink blot test. Well, I'll just like most of these look like vaginas to me. <laughs> I'm very curious to know which one looks like a vagina to you, Andrew. Um, How many vaginas yes, have same. you seen? <laughs> Numbers one, two, and three. Not many, but like we got the, we got the shape roughly there. Well, I definitely did not see vaginas uh, like Andrew. <laughs> really? <laughs> I think a lot of these. Okay. Yeah, I think a lot of these look like animals. Like the first one kind of looks like um, like a like a bull's head. Yeah. Okay. Or like the I second one that. kind of looks like two storks kissing. Wow. So family friendly. Yeah. I mean, I will say <laughs> I think the third one kind I can see why you think that looks like a vagina. Yeah, I Andrew. can see that too. I can see that for the third one. I will say the third one um is actually New York's 10th voting district. Um so if you're in New York 10th, oh my goodness. You look like a vagina according Laura's to Andrew. Laura's got her <laughs> voting district maps memorized. <laughs> She knows exactly what everyone in the country looks like. Um, I wish I could say that, but I'm actually just clicking to see the answers. Oh, Um, (laughs) (laughs) okay. There is one here that to me looks like two bunny rabbits kissing, um, but it's actually Louisiana's second district. Um, Ben and Jerry's quiz describes it as looking like a pixelated alligator or an eroded crescent moon. So there's more description there. This last one to me looks like a possessed bunny rabbit number six do you guys see that Uh, yeah i could see that it looks possessed to me Mm -hmm. and it may well be um because that is actually known as snake on the lake or mistake on the lake uh the skinny district runs from toledo to cleveland it's ohio's ninth so wait okay i have a question which part is the district is it in black or in white in black. So okay, got it. That's even in, worse. <laughs> so to be clear, though, they kind of do it like an inkblot test is done where um, one side of it is the district and then they treat it as though the paper was folded okay, to create it, the inkblot it. test. So it looks um, symmetrical, but it's actually just what you see on on one side 
of the image. But yeah, we would recommend going and taking this if you want to increase your knowledge on uh, redistricting or gerrymandered districts. Yeah, I'd also recommend going to Google Images and looking at your state's map and looking at surrounding states because these maps are just a joke when you see how these districts are mapped out. It shouldn't be legal because of how silly it looks. Just like on that alone. I know. It was funny when, uh, so when Mark came into my life, something that came into his life was watching election returns every time an election runs. So that's just a thing we do now. And I remember, I think it was 2018, they were showing districts on the map. And he was like, why does that district look like a coat hanger? Yeah. And I was like, why indeed? Or like <laughs> a limp penis. Indeed? Or a right. vagina, as I said. Laura, <laughs> So yeah, t- to Andrew's point, you know, what you can do to help is get informed and then learn how your state handles redistricting. We actually have a couple of resources we're going to put in our show notes for that. And we also recommend contacting your members of Congress to voice your support for the Freedom to Vote Act, as well as the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. Laura, at the top of your OkCupid profile, was it like, watch voting results come in with me, winky emoji, (laughs) really sell people on who you are? But you know, in that section that was like, message me if... (laughs) My little thing was like, if you didn't vote for Trump (laughs) or and I think I also included or you didn't bitch out and vote third party. (laughs) Yeah, I think 2016 me would say like uh, message me if you watch CNN. But now I cannot stand watching CNN. By the way, I I was so glad that Cuomo was fired. Me too. hate that guy. Let's get after it. Let's get after tonight. Hey, D. Lemon, what's up? God, he's so annoying. I'm so glad he's gone. I know. He and his brother. Good riddance. Yeah. Yep. 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 Quick question, Laura. Maybe they can't get a quick answer about this, but what is the impartial way to do this? Is there a good answer? I'm not an expert in this realm, and I would defer to resources like the Brennan Center for Justice for answers on this. Um, But generally speaking, I think a great start would be to establish nonpartisan independent committees on each state level to handle this. And that's actually something um, that is a pretty significant parts or a pretty significant part of the um, Freedom to Vote Act, as well as the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, which is why it's really important to support both of these pieces of legislation and give all those people free Ben and Jerry's for life. And of course, somebody, <laughs> the guy great. leading the whole thing needs to be named Jerry. <laughs> all right. One more topic to get to today. But first, this week's final sponsor is Stance. Gift giving can be tricky because you want to get your loved ones something good that they'll truly appreciate. When we were kids, clothing, it didn't seem like a great gift idea. It was so boring when we got it as kids. But these days, unique socks and other clothing that are both colorful and actually high quality can be deeply appreciated. We're all looking for those little wins during our day, and being comfortable is definitely an achievable one if you get the right stuff. And Stance delivers not only comfort, but high-quality, well-made products. They're guaranteed to make merry with quality comforts for you and yours. 
Stance has made gift giving super simple this holiday season. Their premium line of socks, apparel, and more always come correct with colorful constructions, innovative materials, and choice fits that are built to last. Throw in an all-star curation of A-list collaborators, including Disney, Marvel, Pixar, The Office, Star Wars, and those lucky recipients on your holiday nice list have never had it so good. Check out Stance.com for all the latest, including several different subscription options that are sure to keep your friends and family feeling great all year round. They're the type of products you try on and you'll immediately wonder why you didn't treat yourself better sooner. That's the type of feeling you can give to a loved one this holiday season. Stance has the perfect gift for every punk and poet on your list. Go see for yourself. It's easy. Just head on over to Stance.com and pick out some styles you think they might like. Enjoy the color and comfort of a life less ordinary with Stance. I want to talk about Astroworld. This is something that I wanted to talk about uh, for a couple of weeks because it's been in the headlines since this took place on the 5th of November out in Houston, Texas. Uh, so for those of you who are not aware of what this is, uh, this was uh, Travis Scott's Astroworld Festival. Um, it was also being filmed for some sort of special and this entire concert ended up just being a total uh, harrowing travesty. And the event ended up leaving 10 dead and hundreds of others injured as a result of a crowd surge during the performance. And it will likely continue to make headlines given the fact that legal proceedings are still on the horizon from a lot of the victims' families. Uh, but I wanted to bring it up this week because Hulu actually got slammed um on Wednesday of last week, because if you happened to be on Hulu around then, you might have noticed that there was a documentary special called Astro World Concert from Hell, which was yeah. on their site. And the uh, special was recapping the events of the festival and how it all kind of um, came to, to this kind of terrifying head. Uh, it turns out that this wasn't actually Hulu's like original documentary. It was actually an investigative news special produced by the local Houston ABC news station KTRK. Uh, but in response to the social media backlash, Hulu actually pulled the special in question so that nobody would be confused as to whether or not they actually had a hand in making it, which I think uh, is probably the smartest thing that they could have done to kind of save their own asses. But news special aside, there is no shortage of footage from the World Festival. It's all over TikTok. It's all over YouTube. It's all over every social media site. And I don't know if you two uh, saw any of this on your feeds. It is like absolutely terrifying just kind of seeing some of the footage coming out of this. I've seen some pieces. Yeah. yeah. It's brutal, horrifying. Yeah, especially because, you know, the, the concert goers uh, that, you know, were filming these clips, a lot of the, the footage, you know, features a slew of them asking, calling out for help. They're trying to get security guards' attention. Somebody's paying attention. They're trying to get the attention of the people that were there filming. And like nothing is just being done. And it's just like terrible all around. I wanted to ask if any of us have ever been in a scary concert situation or in a scary large crowd situation in our lives and how we kind of um, got ourselves out of that. Because I think about this a lot anytime I go to a concert or like a large event when there where there's a big group of people, which kind of seems weird to bring up now in the age of COVID. But in the before times, you know, this was pretty common practice. Yeah, I uh, 
I used to be really into going to big stadium shows. Um, and I was always um, really hell bent on being on the floor and like right up against the rail as close as I could get. And um, I remember this one time I was at an AFI concert and um, no hate against AFI. I was there for the opening act and I just stayed to watch AFI. And I will say they were actually pretty good in concert. Um, their fans, though, I was a little bit um, turned off by them, at least the people that were at this particular concert. Um, there was there were multiple people who were sort of like behind the people who were in the front row behind the the barrier who were resorting to abusive behavior to try and get in front of you. There was this lady behind me who kept like digging her nails into my back to try and make me move. Um, and just people were being really physical, borderline violent with each other, trying to get that space up front. And I should have seen myself out, but in sort of my youthful rebellion, I was like, no, fuck you. And I reached back and I clawed her back. I was like, the fuck away from me, bitch. Um, but now if I were in that situation, I would just see myself out because I recognize that something like that can spiral. Yeah, I haven't been in any scary crowd situations, but I have been. So Bruce, um, on the floor, it is a pit. It's not seats. So, and I've been front row in the pit twice now. And the second time was when I started having some real anxiety. Uh, this was right before I had my first big uh, panic attack that led me to get on Lexapro. But this was in early 2016. And I started having a panic attack like 20, 30 minutes into the show. It was <laughs> it was partly because I was like so excited to be right in the front. But also like you're kind of trapped yeah, the stage is right in front of you. The stage, by the way, is higher up than it looks when you're like in the seats in an arena. The stage is like up to your neck. So you're kind of like looking up a lot and it almost kind of feels like you're drowning because the stage is so high and then you have people surrounding you and you obviously cannot quickly escape that situation if, God forbid, you needed to. So I started getting anxiety. I actually bailed out. I was like, I need to go sit down for, <laughs> for a few minutes. And then I did manage to wiggle, wiggle my way back up. When you are in that type of situation, surrounded by people without a quick escape, it is stressful. Because you do wonder, what if there's a fire? What if there's, God forbid, a shooting or, or anything where you need to make a quick escape? You will not be able to. Yeah, I um, I totally agree. And like Laura, when I was younger, I was always like, yeah, I'm going to get like up to the barricade or I'm going to like push my way um, as close to the front. But even when you're up there, it's not like a very pleasant experience. It's, it's not... either being like suffocated by the barricade because you're being pushed into it or you're being like severely pushed into uh, other bodies around you. And there were a couple times where I just like felt like I couldn't breathe. And the only reason I was able to like get out, because it's really hard to kind of move around, especially if you go to any of these like punk shows or pop punk, punk shows is because they were people around me that were like maybe larger and, and were able to like lift me up and hand me over to security so that I could, you know, get out through the front and walk around. But there's so many people that get like extracted in shows like that as well, yeah. because it gets like it's hot. You can't 
you can barely breathe and there's like no access to water water it's it's really scary and then you add in alcohol on top of right. that the number of times i've seen people pass out with alcohol poisoning mm-hmm. and have to be lifted out of the pit like that it's right scary. Or people yeah, that like want to start mosh pits yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't do it anymore because of that. Like, I am at a point in my life where I want to go and enjoy live music Me to enjoy too. live music. So <laughs> right. if it's standing room only, I will just stand at the very back yeah. of everyone else. Um, otherwise, I'll just go grab a seat or hang out at the bar or something. And with pits, yeah, you got to get same. there so early. Like, Bruce does a lottery to determine who gets in first. And it's it's an all-day thing. Yeah, I, I much prefer sitting down and, and showing up when I want. Well, back to the Astroworld tragedy, uh, again, because there's so much footage of this circulating online, there are no shortage of people to blame. We talked about the security guards and the camera operators already. Uh, but a lot of people are also pointing to Travis Scott himself for not doing enough or questioning how much he was aware of in the moment from up on stage. Um So the other question I wanted to ask, and I don't know if there's like a right or wrong answer to this, I'll preface it by saying, but I am really interested in the morality of it. And I wanted to know if you all think that it's the responsibility of the artist who's performing to keep an eye on the crowd and try and prevent things like this from happening, or at least try and prevent it from getting so out of hand in the first place. Yeah. I don't know if it's their responsibility to actively keep an eye on the crowd but if you see something you should absolutely stop the show and in the wake of this tragedy we've seen numerous clips from concerts over the years in which artists do stop the show and say hey stop that right there or hey security this needs attention right here or hey security these people need water it seems like something they should be able to easily catch, especially if it's in the front row, because obviously they tend to be right down there in a lot of cases, and they are looking out on the crowd. I know with the lights and with how many people, it can be a little difficult. In the case of Travis Scott, I did see one clip that made it look like he was looking at the audience, at the area of the audience where there was clearly a situation going on, and he was like staring at it, but the show continued, and... I don't know for sure how accurate that video is because of the angle and whatnot, but you have to think when like there's a freaking ambulance coming into the crowd and all this, right? he should have stopped the show. Yeah. The burden is on the venues as well and the security team to maybe sit down with the artist at each show and be like, hey, here's what you need to do if you see something. Stop the show. I guess some mm-hmm. artists are f- afraid of stopping the show. Yeah. And there was an interview with a, or I think one of the security crew members did an interview where they said that at some point when a crowd is uncontrollable, the the only person that might have a shot of of kind of pacifying that uh, aggression or that energy is the person up on stage that everybody's there to see. Yes, and I do agree with that. And I I would hope that there is some kind of training available to artists, like in crowd de escalation. You know, obviously, one hundred percent of that effort should not be on the artist. There's organizers. There's the venue. There's, you know, security, there are first responders that are always there in the event that something like this at a large scale event goes wrong. But I would think that it would be extremely beneficial for everyone involved 
for the artists to have some kind of crowd de-escalation training. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't yeah. know. Like, if you put me up on a stage like that in front of all those people, I wouldn't know what to do. And what's the and, right uh, thing to say? Yeah. Right. Zian is also bringing up a good point in the Discord, which I think a few people have mentioned, that this isn't the first time it's happened at at a Travis Scott concert. And I believe um, in the documentary that is up about him on Netflix, there were also there was also some talk in there about how he's known for egging the crowd on and stuff like that. Mm. So it's it just like as this this story develops and again, you'll probably see it still making headlines for a while to come. It just gets worse and worse. Then there is, it was reported he went to Dave and Buster's after the show. Dude, you know what happened at the show. Like, there was clearly something that went wrong in the audience. And then you're going to Dave and Buster's afterwards. Right. That's horrible. I mean, and to the points y'all brought up earlier, I've been to a number of concerts where when things even started getting a little bit out of hand, I've witnessed artists like, like, usually it happens if, um, a woman or a girl is crowd surfing and she gets dropped. If that happens, the show stops, at least in my experience. All the yeah. artists that I've seen would be like, oh, we are not starting up again until you pick her up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> pick her up now. Um, and I just it makes me really happy to follow the artists that I follow, knowing that they're good people and they're looking out for that kind of thing. Yeah, I've also seen like at some of the shows that I've been to, if there's like an altercation between a man and a woman in front of the stage, that's like in eyesight of the performer, they'll stop and say like, hey, like get that guy out of here because he's being disrespectful, which I think is like really important because when you're in such close quarters, it's so easy to be uh, fondled or handled in a way that is like inappropriate and like unwanted. So yeah, and I yeah. guess Sarah in our Discord shared a story about Travis Scott pleading guilty to charges in a 2015 incident at Lollapalooza where he egged fans on to charge the stage, I guess. So it seems like there is a pattern of behavior here. Yikes. Yeah. And right. it, and if you're going to Dave and Buster's after the incident, you clearly weren't concerned during the show and even more clearly weren't concerned after. So, yeah, I just think I the whole thing sick. is very suspicious. Yeah. I would be sick to my stomach. I wouldn't be able to go to Dave and Buster's. Me too. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I guess we'll just like end this on like a little bit more of a positive note since there are concerts that are, you know, like tours are popping up left and right for a lot of major artists. And if you're going to be out there chilling in the pit, just take care of yourself. Be careful. Know when like you've had enough and you need to get out, Uh, drink a lot of water or bring water with you if you can and just, you know, stay safe. Yeah. Yeah. And take care of other concert goers if you can, if it's safe for you to like if somebody if somebody seems off, if somebody seems like they need help. Bare minimum, like attract attention you know try to get security over there Mm -hmm. definitely all right so a couple weeks ago we had a great after dark it was just laura and pam and they answered questions from listeners for a while and it was pretty intimate and honest Uh, great job you two i think that after dark was an hour long yeah we got going we just couldn't stop and honestly we were mostly talking about a lot of experiences of 
unlearning patriarchal bullshit (laughs) um, Mm -hmm. and sort of handling casual sexism in day-to-day life and in the workplace. But we also got to talk about you, Andrew. We answered several questions about you. Oh, I edited that all out. Oh, you did? Okay. (laughs) After you requested it. (laughs) We did confirm that you're not the boss of millennials, so that's good. (laughs) Yes. This is a group effort. We all hold each other accountable in different ways. So that's available now, and it's great that that was extra long since we were off last week. What's coming up in this week's After Dark? I saw a post in the Facebook group, which we already mentioned once on the show, about uh, plus ones at weddings. And I thought that that would make for a really fun little discussion for us in After Dark. So we're going to be talking about that, the argument for or against, and, uh, and also about for or against inviting kids to weddings. I'm glad you wanted to talk about this, Pam, because actually I have a little gossipy story that relates to this perfectly. Oh, perfect. Me too. Oh, I want to hear all of our anecdotes. Oh, good. <laughs> I've been meaning to bring this up on the show. I haven't had a good reason to, but this will be the moment. Patreon.com slash millennial is where you can support us. Thank you, everybody who does. We really appreciate it. You get access to ad-free millennial. You get access to After Dark. You get access to the monthly variety show, our planning docs, our live streams, our exclusive Discord. So much. If you are a Bay-level patron, you get a physical gift every year. By the way, we've had trouble making this year's physical gift. We're still working on it. It's happening hopefully in the next couple of months. But this just means that Bayes will next year in 2022 get two gifts because they're going to get the 2021 gift plus the 2022 gift. So uh, we're working on that. There's lots of benefits there because we're really grateful for your support. Again, that's at patreon.com slash millennial. Thank you. We couldn't do this without you. And to wrap up the show today, we have a couple of recommendations. I've been doing some holiday shopping, as is everybody, and I happened across a site I was so impressed by. I had to share it on Millennial. And I know we're getting late in the holiday shopping season, especially now that Hanukkah's uh, already finished this year and uh, Christmas is only a couple weeks away. away. Uncommongoods.com. This site has so many unique gift ideas that I'd never seen before. It Browsing the site feels like walking into a quirky gift shop. I was just so impressed by how many unique gifts are here. This isn't like going on Amazon and you're seeing a billion of the same thing you've already seen a million times. There are truly unique gifts here. Uncommongoods.com. They're not a sponsor. I'm just like really impressed and at all price points, by the way. So if you're still looking for a gift for some for somebody and something that's unique or maybe an upcoming birthday or next year, check out this site, uncommongoods.com. That's uncommongoods.com. Use code mullet. No, kidding. I wanted to recommend We're Here season two on HBO Max, but also season one if you haven't checked this out yet. If you're uh, one of the many that's just waiting for Queer Eye season six to drop on New Year's Eve, then this is a really good binge for you to sink your teeth into. Um, It's very similar in the sense that uh, these three drag queens are going to different towns, a lot of them, which are much more conservative and helping people better their lives by giving them a makeover. But the twist with this is that they're actually giving them drag makeovers. And then these people have to perform in drag. And everybody kind of has a different story as to why they've signed up to do the show. Um, It is heartwarming and tear jerking in the best way, just like Queer Eye is. So if you're looking for something to watch that's similar, then I would recommend that. I think it's all queer people who are being transformed. I believe this season it is. 
Yeah. Um, I think last season they had a few people that were not okay. queer. But okay. yeah. Great show. I definitely second that recommendation. And I would just like to reiterate my recommendation to call your senator and voice your support for the Women's Health Protection Act. All right. If you have any feedback about today's episode, you can email millennialshow at gmail.com or use the contact form or anonymous confessional on millennialshow.com. You can also follow us on social media. Our username is Millennial Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Now run by a Gen Zer, Chloe, who's actually going to come on the show in a couple of weeks when we do this year's gift exchange. And she's a lot of fun. So I think everybody will enjoy that. Oh, and by the way, we should have mentioned this. Um, we just did a Q&A on Instagram Live. You can watch that in its entirety on our Instagram. Again, that's Instagram.com slash millennial. It's close to an hour. Chloe's there too. We should have celebrated this in the live stream, I was thinking after, but uh, she made her millennial debut that way. And that was the first time all the listeners were uh, meeting her. And I think everybody liked her. So it was a good time. All right. That does it for this week's episode. Thanks for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.